0: Welcome to Life Beat Right to Life of Michigan's bi weekly podcast going in depth on pro life news and issues. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Right to Life of Michigan's Director of Education and Communication. Happy Friday, everybody. When we last left you two weeks ago, we said that we would update you on the election. Well, there hasn't been any new information uh, particularly relevant to pro-life issues. And so, we'll just uh, mention that the polls have closed. Uh, I should say the polls are a lot closer. People go to vote on Tuesday in Michigan. It's a very, very close race. Usually at this point in a campaign, both campaigns have... Largely abandoned Michigan is no longer a battleground state. They've devoted their resources elsewhere to more competitive states. So far in the last week, we have seen both candidates and campaigns very well represented, very active in the state. Uh, We've seen President Clinton in the state, uh, former President Bill Clinton. Uh, Donald Trump's been in the state. Mike Pence, Bernie Sanders, Ted Cruz, we've seen just about everybody. So we know that Michigan is still in play and your vote will count on Tuesday, November 8. So, go to our website rtl.org/vote, get those Ireland Packendorse candidates, go vote on Tuesday. There are a couple stories I did want to talk about. Alright, first our Prenatal Protection Act came in very handy. Uh there was a case, a person by the name of <clears throat> excuse me. Person by the name of Samuel Demetrius Ambrose was originally convicted and sentenced to four years. Mr. Ambrose had assaulted his pregnant girlfriend who was wheelchair bound even holding her head in a ditch underwater. Uh turns out that his girlfriend and her unborn child are still alive. And so in the sentencing, after convicting uh, Mr. Ambrose of assault, the judge gave him a enhanced sentence because he counted the unborn child also as a victim. There were two victims involved, and so Ambrose was going to spend more time in jail. Now he, and his legal representation, tried to get that extra sentence thrown out in court. They tried to argue that the unborn child is not a victim, because the unborn child is not a person under Roe v. Wade. Well, the judges looked at the laws, and for very rarely, I shouldn't say once, for very rarely, the judges actually just looked at what the law said, what the intent of the legislature said and left it there as it happens we have our prenatal protection act in michigan and it says that you can't kill an unborn child obviously uh, there's an exception for abortion but in cases of violence a criminal can be charged for those actions that take the life of an unborn child in the womb this changes the old "born alive" rule that the child had to be born first and then die in order to be, uh, in order for it to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the child was harmed as a result of that crime. And so, the Prenatal Protection Act was a—it's a great advance in Michigan. That's been through courts. It's had to be revised. Um, but in this case, what the Court of Appeals, who heard the uh, appeal of Mr. Ambrose, did. Well, as I said, well, clearly the legislature believes that victims can include unborn children because obviously an, an unborn child it can be a victim of, uh, of murder as far as the Prenatal Protection Act goes. So, um, when the Michigan law uh, talks about assault and whatnot and penalties and enhanced sentences and whatnot, the law does not say persons the law clearly says victims and so the court asked themselves well if the legislature wrote this law to clearly say victims and not quote human persons and the legislature has also passed the law clearly saying that unborn children can be victims of crimes therefore it makes sense that the legislature intended that victims can include unborn children So, Mr. Ambrose lost his challenge, and the appeals court ruled that he'll have to spend four years in prison for, again, those very heinous, heinous actions towards his wheelchair-bound pregnant girlfriend. Just another example of how our pro-life laws matter, make a difference. Alright, next we're going to talk about the return of Deborah Nukatola. As one of our people in our office described her, Nefarious Nukatola. And uh, we don't want to use the word nefarious too lightly. If you remember, she was the person featured in the very first Planned Parenthood undercover video, uh, the one kind of setting the stage explaining how they engage in human organ trafficking um, of the tissues of aborted babies how they will change abortion procedures in order to harvest more intact specimens. Um, And she was famously talking about destroying the life of an unborn child while she's stabbing her salad over lunch with a fork. In a very deliberate motion. Um, New Wave Feminists is a group of uh, pro-life feminists, uh, two of them, and they made a very funny video uh, spoofing Nucatola and how she kind of highlighting... Talking about the gruesomeness of abortion as she's stabbing her salad with a sharp fork. Um, and here we see, uh, as she has returned to the stage, um, when it first became when the video first came out, she immediately got off social media. I think, if I remember, the same day she deleted or changed her privacy settings on her Twitter account. She retreated um, when they saw those videos, dropped Planned Parenthood, whisked her away, and didn't want her in the limelight at all well she has co-authored a study in the current issue of obstetrics and gynecology which is a trade journal for OBGYNs in the study she is uh, the purpose was to examine the most efficient way to kill unborn children in a late-term abortion and um, what really stands out was you're reading the article is if you didn't know what exactly it was she was talking about you could almost be forgiven for not realizing what's going on here Um, She talks about uh, specifically whether or not uh, before a dilation and evacuation abortion, which we refer to uh, very accurately as a dismemberment abortion because it involves dismembering the unborn child uh, limb by limb, part of the torso at a time, finally crushing the head, which is uh, what Nukatola talked about, crushing here, crushing there, one thing that abortionists like to do is use a heart medication called The Jackson uh, is, is a des- medicine designed to treat congestive heart failure. But if you inject a high enough amount into a baby, it will cause the baby to have a massive heart attack and usually die. And so Nucatola's study took, I believe, uh, 270 Uh, how they called it in the study was a sample size. These were really 270 living unborn children. And uh, currently, the digoxin is injected into just the amniotic fluid, so the baby breathes in, uh, swallows, ingests the medication. Uh, She instead decided to see if injecting the baby directly with it would lead to a lower, quote, failure rate. In this case failure is defined as an unborn child surviving. And the reason that they want to do this is because as they're dilating for dismemberment abortion, uh, the worst thing that could happen is the unborn child is delivered alive and you have a born alive baby. Because as we know the goal of abortion is not to end a pregnancy as a pro choicer might say we're just, you know, we just the pregnancy is the problem we want to take care of it. No, the real issue with an abortion is the goal is a dead baby. Not to end a pregnancy, it's to end a life. And so the worst thing an abortionist can have and be faced with is a born-alive baby. This baby was meant to be killed, this baby was not meant to survive. And of course, if you look at the condition of many abortion clinics, there are no uh, there are no way able to properly take care of a newborn baby. So, her study found that in fact it was much more effective to inject the baby directly with the Jackson, causing a fatal heart attack than it was to inject it into the amniotic fluid and of course they didn't say heart attack they said fetal asystole. and the injection was intrafetal intrafetal inside the fetus that's just monstrous. When you think about it, they're talking about sticking a needle into a baby and giving the baby a massive heart attack, with the specific goal of not having to deal with a born alive baby. And the sample size—we're not mice in a lab or people testing out some new heart medication—is uh, corrupting a tool of medicine in order to take life. And this is. Deborah Nucatola's career. This is what she does. And actually if you look through the October issue of Obstetrics and Gynecology you'll see several studies on abortion. All with euphemisms in order to distract, make people feel better. And that's what really struck me about the story is this is a journal dedicated to bringing new life into the world obstetrics and gynecology. The whole science is the science of uh, women's reproductive systems and in this journal they're discussing ways to end life, to take it, to pervert medicine to destroy functioning human bodies I would just encourage pro-lifers, you know Cutting through the fog is an important thing. Holding people accountable and not letting them rely on euphemism to pretend for themselves and for the public that what they're doing is not a great injustice, taking the life of an innocent human being. Okay, the last thing I just wanted to mention we had an interesting exchange on our Facebook page. We were sharing our uh, Two Minutes Start With Life video. Uh, It was getting a lot of views. Uh, It's gotten seventeen, eighteen thousand 18,000 here. 414 likes, loves, what have you, 233 shares. It's a very good post. Um, And someone responded and said, quote, Hypocrites, vote on one issue, prenatal to birth, then ignore your brothers and sisters from that point on. That is the scam of the Republican Party, unquote. Well, we we hear this argument very often that as a pro lifer, you are not truly pro life if you don't care about the baby after they are born. And um, you know, I could just read our response on on Facebook, but rather, I just kind of break that down into a couple points. First, they define caring for the child after they're born as whatever particular political issue or subject they support, which that's not really true. If you think about it, you know, if you look at, say, the issue of poverty, and this person has uh, public policy A, B, and C to address poverty, and this person has public policy um, D, E, and F to address poverty. And this person is saying, "Well, if you support public policy A, B, and C, you care about poverty. But if you're trying to solve poverty with D, E, and F, you don't care." Um, you know, I think a lot of people would say that they obviously do care about part, uh, poverty, and just because you have a different, you want to approach a problem from a different way, doesn't mean that you don't acknowledge the problem or you don't care about the problem. Along those lines, the idea that pro-lifers don't care about people after they're born is kind of ridiculous. I mean, I'm pro-life. I have, I, I care about myself. I care about my family. I have children. I have a wife. I have a brother. I have parents, grandparents, cousins, uncles, aunts, neighbors, co-workers, uh, random strangers on the street. Uh, You know, everyone cares about other people. Um, Maybe that's being a little too broad, (laughs) but uh, people care about other people. It happens. Uh, You know, pro-lifers aren't just sitting in their basements trying to think up ways to end lives as soon as they emerge from the womb. Um, You know, it's just kind of a cheap distraction from the real issue at hand, which is, you know... What is the unborn child? One of the analogies uh, that we used, I think it's a pretty good one is uh, if you see a building on fire and children are trapped inside, you know do you rush in there to save the life of that child, or do you sit outside and debate whether or not the city council needs to create a program to hand out smoke detectors? I say you rush inside there and save them, you know with abortion we're talking about dismembering a human child in the womb and i think caring about that uh, that's a serious problem when you look at it as statistic that we've used it's the leading cause of death in america one could make the argument that people caring about other issues ought to be more focused on that simply through numbers although i would never try to tell someone that more people from cancer die than from alzheimer's so uh, you know those Alzheimer's research organizations shouldn't exist, or should they? They should devote all of their funding to cancer research or heart disease. Um, you know we would never use that argument, or we should we should ne- never use the argument that people who are, you know, for gun control or for gun rights should you know drop what they're doing and care about environmental issues, um, or they should have to you know they should care first more about, um, you know, heart disease research than they should about issues that they find important. I really hate when people kind of engage in that sort of zero-sum debate that people can only care about one issue. Obviously, I think everyone should care about unborn children. Obviously, everyone should And I think this would be great if everyone would get on board with the idea that every human being has value regardless of their circumstances. I think that would go a long way to fixing maybe other problems we see in society. So this is your PSA for the day. Um, You know, if you look at World War II, World War II, very important. The country dropped a lot of what it was doing to directly address that. But we didn't stop doing disease research. We didn't stop running soup kitchens. We could care about multiple things. If you have a problem with someone's argument, if you have a problem with someone's views, criticize those views. Talk about that argument. Don't try to distract with a silly game about motivations. Stick with the issue at hand. I think everyone ought to believe that abortion is the most critical issue of our time, simply just looking at the numbers and the level of the injustice. But that doesn't mean you can't be pro-life, work to end abortion, and you can't care about any other issue, or you have to endorse some other set of unrelated issues in order to care about that life of the unborn child. But if you see that building on fire, rush in there and save the children. Do that right away. Then you can debate whether or not a program to hand out smoke detectors will work. Which, by the way, even if you handed out everyone a smoke detector, isn't going to stop fires and isn't going to prevent children from still occasionally being trapped inside a burning building. There ought to always be someone there to save those children from being trapped inside of the burning building. That's what pro-lifers do. We look at the unborn child in the womb. They're being killed. We're there to save them pro-lifers disagree on all sorts of other issues. They're, you know, We're non-partisan. The RLM PAC makes endorsement in the Republican and Democratic parties contrary to this person's assertion. It just so happens the parties now are more highly divided than they were say in uh, 1980 when it was a toss-up where the parties might eventually end up in terms of supporting abortion. But we're non-partisan. We have our value. Uh, afterwards, You know, we might disagree on what to do on environmental policy or social security or gun rights or the death penalty. The death penalty is a perfect example. It's not something that we at Rights Life of Michigan have a position on. Uh, Pro-lifers can come down on uh, both sides of that issue and they can still agree that we shouldn't kill unborn children. And so that's the bottom line for us there. All right, that's all we have for this edition of LifeBeat. In two weeks, we'll talk about the election and what happens. So join us then. I'm sure it'll be exciting no matter what happens. Don't forget to vote on Tuesday, November 8th. Vote for life. Thank you and have a wonderful weekend.